The North Carolina Healthcare Association is a proud sponsor of the Do Politics Better podcast. The association is a united voice for hospitals, health systems, and care providers to ensure they can offer high quality, lower cost care to all North Carolinians. Visit nchealthcare.org to learn more about how hospitals and health systems are working to make healthcare easier, more convenient, and with better outcomes. It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. This week was not a news-heavy week, so we're going to go ahead and jump into the interview because it is long. We cover the entire long session, and then we'll hit you on the back end with a little bit of news. It's also very funny. Very funny. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Welcome back to the podcast, Senator Johnson and Representative Dahl, couple friends of the pod. <laughs> glad to be here. Yes, glad to be here. We are doing a special podcast episode where we're going to talk about the entire long legislative session. Let's talk about the first big issue that happened, Medicaid expansion. How pivotal was that for this session, Representative Dahl? It was incredibly pivotal for the people of North Carolina, especially those who work 30, 40 hours, but their job doesn't provide benefits for them, and and they can't afford them. I mean, there are people in my district that have had this issue, um, and some of that is past things that have been done as far as not opening up the marketplace and some other things, but still... Having Medicaid and having people access health care is really important. Senator Johnson, your caucus, in particular Senator Berger, being such a champion for Medicaid expansion this session, he was on podcasts, he was in the media, that really was a game changer for Medicaid expansion. It really was. And as far as the Republicans in the Senate, and we've heard from the House members as well, it was kind of an about face of what we've uh, kind of the, the direction we've been marching for a number of years. And and so uh, Republicans had a lot of homework to do at home to, to kind of go back and explain to our base what had changed, what had transpired, what had, uh, had come to light to, to justify uh, that change in direction. And even in the end, it was, uh, it was a tough vote for a number of our members because of the understanding that how we have been so staunchly opposed to something for so long and then what changed. And, and in essence, things did change. Uh, that made it uh, uh, more palatable for m- uh, many of our members. Uh, still, at the end of the day, it was a tough vote, even for myself, And but I did eventually vote in, in favor of that. Uh, one of the things that uh, I think a lot of folks should take away, and uh, Representative Dahl just brought it up, there's a misconception that a lot of folks in this group are folks that are deadbeats, that don't work, that, and that's a misconception because when you really uh, peel it back, uh, I think cl- over 70% of the people in that group are hardworking North Carolinians that uh, do have a job. They work 30 to 40, maybe more, and maybe multiple jobs, and they have families, and they're trying to provide, and this just kind of helps give them a hand up at that point in time to, to be able to 
to meet their the needs of their budget at home and and provides that safety net for them so uh, i think ultimately folks especially in on my side of the aisle uh, we we don't mind helping folks that are helping themselves and in this case i think the case was made that these are folks that are are working hard and trying to 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 do better we came into session after the election last year, there were 71 Republicans in the House. They need 72 for a supermajority. And the Senate did have a supermajority. They had 30 Republicans. And so we came into session knowing the numbers were going to be tight. However, there was a switch in party that really shored up that do you think that was a pivotal moment in this long legislative session? Yeah, I think it was. It definitely uh, uh, raised the temperature. And so, you know, folks either on either side think how cool it would be to have a supermajority and not have to, <laughs> to deal with those folks on the other side. Um, I think once you've been through it, this was my first session going through with a supermajority. Uh, you basically take it from the neighborhood fight to the family reunion fight. <laughs> right. That's why, it, it, you know, session continued to drag on because mm-hmm. the infighting, uh, which happens all the time anyway, but it, it, it kind of gets aired out in public as opposed to uh, behind closed doors. And so it definitely increased the temperature on all issues. And um, we're just kind of, I, I think uh, Allison would agree with me. I'm kind of glad we're at the end of this <laughs> end of this session and this run for now uh, i think a, a good break uh get home for with our families for the holidays get past the new year and that'd be a good time to everybody let the temperatures cool off and and come back i mean for us it was the beginning of the end mm-hmm. you know we had a hope in hell in the beginning and then when cotham switched it was just like okay we're we're no longer even viable well and i think also with it uh Hearing you say that, it's kind of like shows the change in politics over the last few years because I'm reminded back even when supermajorities weren't existing in the state legislature and you had divided government, there was a lot of switchover. So I think even with uh, McCrory, I think the Re- Republicans mm-hmm. even overrode him a couple of times or a few mm-hmm. times. They and overrode you, him all the all time. All the time, right. They did not like him. But you've seen the polarization mm-hmm. come into focus because we're talking about uh, you have to be in this party and you have to have this many in this party to even discuss and override where just a few years back, it didn't matter. It's based on the policy instead of the party. And that's been a that's kind of indicative of the polarization of the parties. I agree. It did open up a discussion when Representative Cotham made the switch about how big is the tent? How big are the parties willing to broaden their base to say, yes, you're a Republican. You may have some views that aren't necessarily conservative. And for Democrats, yes, you can be a Democrat, but you may not have some views that are necessarily progressive or liberal. Was that a fair conversation to have about the parties? I don't, I'm not sure how to answer that because I don't know what exactly happened. And I never did follow up and find out exactly what the reason was. I know for myself, I was as genuinely nice as I could be, as I am to everybody. I mean, I I will tell Todd right now, I do not agree with your politics, but I love you to death. You're fun. Mark Robinson's, um, what's his name? Nathan. Nathan Nathan. Lewis. I like him. I hate his politics. Mm -hmm. And I've made, and he and I talk, we laugh about it. I mean, you know, but I don't know what happened because... 
We do try to be a big party. We do try to be the big tent party that accepts everybody, but there are some crucial issues and some crucial differences. I think they have become way more divided than they ever were. There's different shades within the party. And so everybody, everyone thinks, well, if you fit into this class or this party or this group, you ha- you're, you're monolithic, you're going to think this way. And that's just really not the case. And I think even within my, the caucus and the Republican Senate, there's so many different shades of, of politics in there. You have the moderate, you have the conservative, you have the ultra-conservative, and then you may even what I refer to as the black helicopter conservative. And now, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> that's Representative Go ahead and laughing. <laughs> but, but you have the same in, in your caucus as well. And so... I think folks try to fit everyone in the same box. Not every middle-aged white Republican thinks this way. Not every uh, young college-aged uh, black individual thinks this way. Not, right. and, and, and everyone tries to put groups in these little boxes. And then when they don't operate within the boxes, all of a sudden it's, oh, they're in chaos. No, they're just individual thought. I mean, mm. they have their own thoughts and their own beliefs and, and how they see things. And, and the way it's supposed to work is those thoughts come together and you work together and you have end up with a policy or a compromise or something that ends up tend, tending to be pretty good policy because mm-hmm. you get that input from, from all. But we don't. And but we don't do that enough oh, at I, all. I don't disagree right. with that. Right. I, I mean, disagree. I have a great relationship with maybe they might be black, <laughs> black. <laughs> we got George Cleveland, Keith Kidwell, you know, sure. and they are Mark Brody. Mark Brody. They mm-hmm. are the far sure. right in my caucus, but we agree on things. I can't tell you exactly what it is we agree on all the time home, home builder issues home builder a lot issues. Yeah. probably second amendment or some of the second mm-hmm. amendment some of the second amendment stuff you have to start at respect until Absolutely. somebody proves you and still some somebody proves you different and i think to that point allison it's it's you know we can have we can disagree and do all that and and i think where the line stops is when there's a lack of trust and, and i can't take what you're saying at face value and i know you and i have that relationship to mm-hmm. where we can we can say, hey, we don't like this, we do like this, uh, but I know when you tell me something, I don't have to second guess it. I right. don't have to think, well, was she really, is she trying to play gotcha or is she trying, I don't have to worry about that. But that doesn't just happen. Right. You have to develop that relationship. You have to develop. And here's the thing, Brian and Sky, I'll tie mine and Allison's relationship goes back to kickball. That's where we met. That's oh, where yeah. we started hanging out. That's cool. And it was just some event that had absolutely nothing to do with policy. And that's really, when you try to get together, we got this issue that we're working on that's really contentious, and you try to start developing a relationship at that point in time, it's never going to work out well. Mm-hmm. And by the way, my son still talks about Allison. He, <laughs> he loves Allison. <laughs> and when I tell him what I was doing today, he's going he's gonna, to... No, I love your son. He is, I mean, that child is just amazing. <laughs> he's a good he's kid. He's just like, hey, this is who I am. <laughs> he's yeah. I'm good. good. Yeah. See ya. He's a good kid. We need to bring back the Do Politics Better kickball games. Those were yeah. fun. Those they were, fun. but... We tried to bring it back back this year, but then there wasn't like a consistent schedule. Yeah, it yeah. was tough. We'll you know, get let's to, talk about the schedule. Let's do talk about it. But <laughs> first, Senator Johnson, you brought up the diversity in your party. That played itself out this session in the abortion debate. We can go back to a year ago, Senator Michael Lee's running for a re-election. 
he writes an op-ed in the Wilmington Star News saying he is for first trimester abortion rights and then outlines that he's for second trimester regulations and third trimester ban. Senator Phil Berger goes on the news and says he's for uh, first trimester autonomy. Your caucus was seemed to have three camps, Senator Berger, Senator Lee, and then a few with them. Then there was a camp that said, oh, abortion should be outlawed, illegal, let's do a fetal heartbeat pill. And then you had a third group, probably smaller within the caucus, that said, we should do nothing, don't touch it. And a lot of us thought, we're not going to get an abortion bill if you guys can't come to some agreement but we did. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I think you know a number of the issues that we deal with daily in politics, if you pick any one random issue and you go and ask 10 people, there's going to be a number of those folks that don't have an opinion. Well, I've never thought about that. I don't really. That's not something I care about. Uh, abortion is not one of those issues. Every single person <laughs> yeah. that you run into will have an opinion one way or the other. And as I, as I stated earlier, uh, you can't say everyone in some group feels the same way, and that was the same way in our caucus. You had just the, the, the gamut on different views of this. And one thing I saw with, uh, with this particular issue is uh, the members that represent certain districts may have a differing personal opinion to what their district represents. So then the member gets caught, well, do I do – I, go against what I personally believe and represent my district or do I represent my district or don't represent my district and push my personal belief. And so you had all these internal conflicts with, with individual members, but then you had the caucus trying to come together to, to figure out which way to go. And ultimately in the end, the fights and discussions and, and heated discussions were had and um, the decision was made to move forward and not everybody was very happy about that. But, uh, that's just kind of how it ended up. Before we get to you, Representative Dahl, I want to ask you, Senator Johnson, it seemed evident to me, especially in your chamber, that some relationships were frayed in the Senate, particularly, specifically, between Republicans and Democrats. I think a lot of relationships were frayed. A lot of relationships were, um, were damaged. But I get it, though. I understand it. It, it, it was a situation where... The folks, um, let's just call it what it is, the Democrats in the Senate had an obligation to their people that they represented to, to put up the fight. They had that obligation, and I think that's not, that's not lost on us. And I think in the end, the, the theatrics, if, if, not to belittle what they were saying, but it was the uh, performance of going through the 15 or 20 minutes or however long that each person stood up, um, they have that right. And so you, you get caught between them exercising their right, representing their district to, hey, what happened? Why, why are you doing this? Just, you know, speak your piece and move on. Uh, it, it was already uh, dealing with something that was high emotion, and everyone was already on edge. And, and, and again, keeping in mind that a number of the members of, of both caucuses didn't even want to be discussing this. So it's just kind of a perfect storm. Has everything gone back to normal yet? I don't think so, but I think that maybe a few months off, getting getting out of here for a while, getting home with our families during the holidays, and then coming back <laughs> next year, hopefully we can hit the reset button. And 
really start trying to develop those relationships again and, and get back to, to, to the business of the state. Representative Dawes adjusting herself. I'm over wiggling here. over here. It's hard to sit still this long. Uh, and you have to sit here and hear me run my trap. No, I don't mind that. I mean, I mean, this is such a hard issue for me because I don't feel as though we as the legislature are capable of making this decision. I believe that it is truly a medical decision. But I don't feel when I talk to women who have gone through this process, who have had abortions, when I talk to them now, talk to staff who have to go through all of the protocols that are in place, it's heart-wrenching. And it's heart-wrenching for women who, families who want the child, but the child is no longer viable. That, to me, just breaks my heart. I mean, I get it. I, I, I was never able to get pregnant. I never got pregnant. I never had to make this decision. But I also want that decision to be done in a doctor's office. And my fear is that this is not going to stop abortion, not going to stop abortions. It will stop legal abortions. Yeah, let me ask you this, Representative Dahl. You were one of the floor leaders uh, when it was in the House as far as opposing it. You yes. were speaking against it. I think on third reading, you guys had a more prolonged debate. You didn't do what the Senate Democrats did, but that was probably the first kind of tense week in which the relationships were frayed. Did you feel that over on the House side, especially with your conservative friends? You have them on right. the other side of the aisle. Was that a tough week for you to to, yeah, to be friends? Talk. Okay. There was no, there was not any discussion. I mean, there may have been a smile in the hall, but it was pretty screw you. You know, John Torbett, I pass him every day, and he hits me, and, hey, buddy, how you doing? There was none of that. There was none of that in rules. It was really uncomfortable. It was like a family fight. Mm -hmm. So it's not only the issue itself, which is divisive. I, I know Democrats did have complaints about the conference report. Yeah. And that cuts both ways, right? I mean, I've heard, I've had folks tell me, if we had not done that, we would have a fetal heartbeat bill in North Carolina. And I get that. And I'm not, um, it's the issue for me. Yeah. Mostly because I don't know the rules. And if you, <laughs> if you follow me in committee, you know I don't know the rules because I'm like, excuse me, I need to ask a question. And they're like, are you going to call? Are you going to, you know, I'm just like, hey, I need to ask you a question. So that to me was not the big issue. The big issue for me was just, the taking issue. away yeah. the, the, the actual issue itself. Well, and not uh, some folks may be upset by me even bringing this up, but coming from, which I can only imagine was, uh, I don't think the Senate and the House are all that different in that. I'm sure the Republican <coughs> caucus in the House had the same issues that we had in the Senate. Mm -hmm. But I think coming from that, uh, a lot of the feedback that you heard from folks that may have been more on the, um, maybe we shouldn't take action or, or let's at least... Uh, make it the first trimester or whatever. Um, there was a lot of outspoken, uh, outspoken concerns about if we're going to do this, we need to make sure that there's financial support mm -hmm. that goes along with that. And again, not belittling the topic or, mm -hmm. or making, trying to make an excuse for whatever. But um, if, if you're going to make these changes, the state has an obligation to, to, 
to bring in some of the financial services to support these mothers and families after the fact, because that's a lot what we hear often. And so putting that package together as more of a holistic approach, uh, again, was not received well by the Democrats, understandably, but it at least showed a, debt, a commitment to that family and a commitment to those mothers after the fact. And I don't think that would have happened had it been so monolithic where everyone came in there and said, yes, we're going to do this. Because if, if it would have been just one shade, you probably would not have gotten that financial piece uh, on the backside of it. It's hard <laughs> for me to say anything positive about that yeah. just because, because I'm a woman and I've talked to women and yeah. I've worked with women and I've... You know, it's just, it's difficult. Got it. We're t if we're talking about the timeline of session, so actually when the abortion bill came out, it was crossover week, if you'll recall. Oh, Think yeah. way back when. And it it just took up all of the energy from crossover, um, which is the week that a bill has to pass one chamber or another to remain viable for the session but there were some other big topics that happened early on. And I don't know, maybe sports gambling was before abortion, was it? Oh, you're, I have no clue. I don't know. <laughs> it all bleeds that, together. Yeah. So on my notes here, it says sports gambling. Eh, would rather have had medical marijuana. I, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, sports betting after, for me, after abortion and all of those LGBTQIA bills that still break my heart, Sports gambling, I don't care about that. We're, that's not, there aren't children out there killing themselves about sports gambling. And I, I mean, it's it will always break my heart that North Carolina just decided to throw away a group of people just because somebody didn't like them. I don't get it. Representative Dahl, you do get emotional Ooh. about this. And I, 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 we love you. Everyone loves you. And I, you've spoke on the floor. You get emotional. You've been on yeah. the podcast. And you're going to make me cry now. <laughs> um, but it was a session that did address the issue of transgender mm -hmm. children mm -hmm. in particular. Another divisive issue. And I understand both sides. That's the problem. As I understand Folks wanting to protect children that they think may or may not be, be abused, but we're, we don't listen to the people of North Carolina. We don't ask them questions. I know I go and talk to like-minded people to get like-minded, and I've had to really reach out and talk to Republicans in my district or talk to conservatives and, and say, help me understand this. What is your fear? and what? Tell me what your fear is. And I don't get very far because people don't want to share it. We're probably not going to get no, uh, uh, the that. answer to that on this, <laughs> but I do want to ask Senator Johnson because I know you guys are friends, and I know he, he's not against anybody, but what is it like for you, Senator Johnson? I know you have your beliefs about this issue, and you're concerned about children. This is where politics kind of gets messy as you get to know people, sure. but you got to stand up for what you believe. Sure, and, and you know, folks like... Uh, that don't have the same viewpoint as you. I, I think Allison brings up a good point that it's it's harder to go talk to these folks, and it's harder it's harder to see the other side. But but in the end, you you get a better feeling for what's going on, and I think you make better decisions that way. I think with the issue that the feedback that we're getting, and, and me as well, uh, I think COVID and how kids were at home, so the parents 
were more involved in their day-to-day schoolwork and seeing firsthand some of the stuff that was coming in through the school system that again increased the temperature around this issue and so uh, the feedback that we're getting constantly is I didn't know this stuff was being taught and I'm not just saying this particular issue you can pick any any number of of topics out there I didn't know this was in our curriculum I didn't know this particular item was there and I don't like that or I don't think we should be teaching that we need to teach math and reading and leave this other nonsense to whatever that's the feedback that we're getting where I think the change and where the energy behind this came is when you hear be it isolated or widespread, it doesn't matter. It's everything's perception. So if it happens once in folks' mind, they're going to think it's happening everywhere. Where you have a uh, a parent being cut out of the process. And so when you hear stories of a 12, uh, 12-year-old uh, doing this at school or having some feelings at school and not telling the parents and not acknowledging that the parent still has the responsibility of raising that child. That is where the problems get escalated. And then it begins to uh, balloon and mushroom from there. Uh, so the feedback that we're getting is the parent needs to be involved. And I personally believe that. I mean, I just, I just believe that my two kids are my responsibility to raise, to, to, to raise in, in the way that I see fit and cutting me out of the process is not acceptable. In typical fashion of government, you know, a lot of times it tries to go too far one way and too far the other way. Whereas if we were having those conversations, maybe it would settle in the middle. But in the end, the the ultimate thing was, for me personally, was making sure that the parents have the opportunity to be involved because it is their responsibility. So I'm going to be a real bitch. That's fine. (laughs) I'll still love you. (laughs) I still love you. My problem was not with the school stuff. I mean, it was with the school stuff. My problem was taking away the rights of the parent to get seek medical treatment for their children. And so if you're telling me how important it is for you to be involved in your child's education, which I, my mother was there, I believe that, then how can you then turn around and tell a parent that they can't provide medical, what they deem necessary medical treatment? That was my argument Understood. all along. And I don't know where that bill originated. I think it originated in the House, so I might not even be able to throw daggers at you. But. <laughs> Oh, you can throw them. It's fine. <laughs> so we got a little off topic. No, it's okay. <laughs> As we're kind of moving through session, so you can see based on the topics that we're covering, tensions kind of got higher and Ooh. higher as the session went on. And looming over all of this, the main reason you're in a long legislative session is to produce a budget. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about Senator Johnson. What was the budget process like for you this year? Well, I've, you know, since I've been in the General Assembly, we haven't gone through the 2007s and 8s and the 10s and when the when the Republicans took, uh, took over the General Assembly. Uh, I was speaking with my this is maybe probably last budget cycle, but speaking with my predecessor and Senator Tucker told me, he said, he said, Todd, it's a lot easier to do a budget when you're broke. <laughs> That's true. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. When you don't have money, it's real easy to do a budget. You just say, no, we're not doing that. And you move on. Um, that is not the case with North Carolina, North Carolina. Uh, y'all are, people are going to think I'm crazy for saying that we have too much money. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, we have so much money. The problem is a lot of our money is one-time money, and we don't know if it's going to be here next time. So you're kind of constrained, or you are constrained on what you can spend that money on. And so uh, there is a the battles around where we, what are we prioritizing, how are we going to fund it. But more importantly, what we, we were really focused on was not falling back into the 2007-2008 trap to where we just overextended ourselves and then had to start cutting and pulling back. Because when you start pulling back, that is when uh, it gets very, very difficult, especially for the for North Carolinians that are, are having to survive. So the budget process took a long time, mm-hmm. uh, very frustrating on all ends. Uh, folks don't understand. But I will tell you, uh, and y'all are the, y'all are the resident uh, historians in terms of state politics, so y'all know better than me. Uh, I don't recall, but maybe one time in the last 20 years or so, that we actually had a budget by July 1st. Right. I think it was twice. Yeah, so, tw- yeah. so twice. Yeah. It's so that the- we were broke. I think <laughs> was, that, was that under Democrat? Oh, if we were broke. One, I re- know. one Republican, one Democrat. Uh, actually, it was the co-speakers between Richard Morgan and Jim Black that I also think helped move things along. Yeah, and and so point being to think this is kind of an anomaly, and it's the Republicans can't get a budget. Yeah, it's just pretty normal. And and what you get from that, I think, it was exacerbated by the fact that we had this money and trying to figure out which ways we need to go with it. So we have the pull of let's put the money in this uh, pot. Well, no, that's like getting your tax refund check and going and putting a down payment on a car because that next monthly payment's going to come, but you don't have the money to pay for it. And so trying to balance that out while still addressing the needs and, more importantly, the obligations mm-hmm. of the state. And so uh, it in the end, I think we ended up with a pretty decent budget, but uh, – Never enough in terms of of giving what we what to certain groups. Uh, I can go ahead and address the elephant in the room. I think there's 170, including the two that are on this couch, that would love to give a lot more money to teachers. Mm-hmm. Every single person, we we would love to give teachers a lot more money than we did. Uh, did we settle on the right amount? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But what I can tell you is we settled on an amount that we don't have to worry two years, four years, 10 years from now, are we going to have to do hiring freezes? Are we going to have to uh, go back to the hills of 2007 when, with all that that we were dealing with? I think furloughs. I remember that sure. back in 2009. We, teachers and state employees were furloughed. And retirees don't have to worry about their retirement fund because we fund retirement as we go as well. And so tough budget. A lot of folks don't understand kind of the process that went into it. But uh, in the end, I think we got a, got a good budget. Beyond tensions between the Republicans and the Democrats this session, the budget really exasperated the tension between the House and the Senate. From an outside perspective, did you kind of see that bubbling up, Representative Dahl? With the casinos in particular. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, with the casinos in particular, yeah. And I just want to go back to a point about the budget. I don't mind all the numbers. I cannot stand that we put policy in a budget. I think that is, it's criminal. And I I wrote that down. I just think it's criminal that we put policy, we stick it in there. I mean, that's what reg reform is. That's what, we have other mechanisms to do that. But, oh yeah, the tension was clear and that was a policy issue. It shouldn't, it should have, I think it should have been a standalone bill or Paired with medical marijuana, that would be fine. <laughs> so, in the could you can you do you get it? I, I, I think get Senator Raven would have liked that as well. <laughs> Senator Raven, he, he tends to like me a lot. <laughs> so, in the House, in particular, 
it looked to us like House Democrats were joining forces with the Freedom Caucus to kill casinos. Mm. We saw a lot of conversations okay. happening between so, Keith Kidwell and some Democrats. Right. Uh, from my point of view, it was not to kill casinos. Okay. From my point of view, it was to stop the madness of putting the casinos in the budget. If you're looking at the Democrats and they're thinking, hey, we can side with this group right here or they can side with us and we can tell the majority party to, that you, you're not getting... You can't think the Democrats... They'd be crazy to bail them out. Mm-hmm. I, and call it what it is. I, right. I, th- I think it's... it's Regardless of the intention, I think if, if the shoe was on the other foot, the Republicans wouldn't have bailed out the Democrats. Mm-hmm. And, and you've got to have the policy to where you've got enough in your caucus... To make it work, and if you don't, then you can't look for the other side to bail you out. All right, we got new maps. That was also, and, <laughs> and we just finalized that uh, yesterday. We're recording this podcast on October 26th. You know, I'm in a district where I'm going to be a D plus something. You're mm. going to be hard pressed to get me. So for me, it's not about fighting for myself. It's about fighting for the people of North Carolina, and. You know, I, I appreciate that folks, especially on the House side, have said, you know, we're going to draw it for a Republican advantage, and we're honest, and I get it. What I'm worried about is that it's going to backfire, and it's not going to hurt me, and it's not going to hurt Ty. It's not going to even, it's not going to hurt the people in this room. It's going to hurt the people of North Carolina that can't pay attention because they're working for jobs. But I am in a place where I can have that concern. Because I'm in a safe district, you know, a primarily safe district where I'm going to get reelected or a Democrat's going to get reelected. Yeah, and, I, and I share the same kind of district as, uh, as Allison. We, uh, I, I Super remember, Democratic. <laughs> <laughs> Union uh, County, man. The, uh, the opposite side of that. <laughs> but in terms of the, the map process, we are the most litigated st- uh, state in the country in terms of the maps. Uh, I've heard comments um, in, in our committee or in our uh, chamber uh, from folks from the other side saying, you know, seems like we got new maps every other year. And I'm like, we do because you keep suing us over. Um, but in the end, this isn't just new to this decade. This, If you go back and when the other, other group was in charge, it was the same thing then. So none of this is new ground. This, this is all the same discussions. And, and what you can do when the chambers flip, you can take the talking points from the other party and you can f- just change the name on the top and it's going to be the same back that way. Mm-hmm. It's just how it is and how it's been. Uh, doesn't make it right or wrong. It's just how it is. Yeah. Um, I got a solution to fix it. <laughs> I'm sure it wouldn't go against the Constitution, would it? How about independent redistricting? Oh, yeah, against the Constitution. Daggummit. I thought you had to get a... Hey, I've got an idea. Why is it against the Constitution? Because the legislature draws it. Oh. So I floated an idea. What's the group that... uh, what was the redistrict? Common, Common cause. cause. Common cause. Yeah. So I was here for the first uh, little bit, and this guy from Common Cause comes by my office, and he starts talking to me about it. I said, I've got a great idea. I've got a solution, and I will run this bill for you. And he said, okay, I'd love to hear about it. I said, here's the plan. What we'll do is we will set up an independent commission. The independent commission will go into effect when the chambers flip. <laughs> Okay. And uh, stay with me. That's kind of, okay. he, he kind of started, he st- started checking out on me at that point in time. And then I said, what we'll do is whoever's in the minority gets the majority on the commission, the majority appointments on oh, the commission. Yeah. So it goes into effect when the chambers flip 
and whoever gets whoever's in the minority actually would have the majority on that commission. They did not like that idea. No. But I think if you know, it's more of a, that kind of says no side has the upper hand. But uh, but yeah, they didn't that didn't go anywhere. He went well, and I don't. I think we we've got to do something because. We're just playing tit for tat. We just keep on doing We've it. We've only been at it for 13 years. Y'all had it for 140. Can we at least get a few well, more decades out of it? If you quit cramming stuff down my throat, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lord have mercy, I'd give you all the power you want if you would just leave the social issues alone and do the, and do the budget business and the monies so we've been talking about some of the bigger issues but one underlying theme that happened this year was that there were 19 veto overrides Mm. and so every i don't know couple of weeks we had a veto override what kind of role did governor cooper have in this year's session representative doll well i mean we knew a couple of hours before the Republicans did that he was going to veto the bill. I would say other than that, y'all do the best you can because that what that was all we could do. This may be maybe come as a shock and and uh, somebody may apply 12 Pinocchios to the statement, <laughs> but uh, maybe not to the same degree or the same level over the last few years. But at least within our caucus, there was a lot of discussions about how does the governor, does this, is this something that the governor would want to veto? Uh, and there was, dis- well, we've had communications with the governor's office. I still think that there was a lot of communication with the governor's office. I think there was communication with Senator Blue and his caucus uh, as we were working on bills and putting things together. So to think and for anyone to say, well, the Republican caucus, at least in the Senate, the Republican caucus just went and they drew, drew up these bills and didn't get any input from any of the other side and didn't talk to the governor's office. That is just not even remotely true. There was still discussions and, and there was still a, there was still communication and input from that. Even though with 19 vetoes, it probably would have been more had that input not been in play. This is a session in which we've had a lot of announcements that folks are leaving the General Assembly to pursue higher office. We also had it last biennium with a lot of members running for Congress. It's heavier in the House, Representative Dahl. We have uh, Representative John Bradford running for Treasurer, Representative John Hardister running for Labor Commissioner. Uh, over on the Senate side, uh, Senator Rachel Hunt's running for Lieutenant Governor. Represent- Wesley Harris is running for Treasurer. I got That's right. Wesley I Harris. Give my man a plug. That's right. Uh, represent- are there others that I'm missing? Well, Aaron Perret is running for Congress. To run for Congress. I mean, we won't know until December 4th. Or she's whatever. got an ad out there. I oh, think, okay. Yeah, she's in. We've heard, especially on the House side again, there's going to be a lot of turnover. Is this something you've thought about going into 2025 that's on your radar? No, I've just thought about getting the hell up out of there. (laughs) (laughs) This has been painful. I haven't even, I mean, somebody asked me, well, have you thought about your campaign? I'm like, no, I haven't thought about any of that. Not even, I mean, I need to go raise money, but I was, I mean... I was depressed most of this session. And then my mother broke her hip, and I had all these personal things, and I was just like, I'm just treading water, folks. You just tell me what to do to get me out of here and stop some of this. Because I, I, I think it's good. 
As long as George Cleveland doesn't leave, that's fine. Because <laughs> he knows lots of stuff. He does. If you sit down and oh, talk to him, he knows lots of stuff. He knows he's a lot even... about insurance because every time I run a bill, he's usually hanging out. And then when I present my bill, he has a lot of technical mm-hmm. questions for him. Then he's then he goes back quiet again. So, um, and before you get going, Senator Jones, I want to add in that you were rumored to be running for Congress at were one you point. For Congress? And uh, yeah, yeah, I, we had uh, thought long and hard about it, and actually had started organizing our campaign. And another, we we were pretty far down the road. And then it was on. I can tell you, I can tell you the date. It was June seventh of this year. We were running, and then uh, it was my anniversary. And me and my wife was at. We were at Second Empire, having dinner, and and I just told her, I said, you know what? I don't think I think I'm gonna stick around here. Should the people of Union County send me back? But I think I'm, I'd like to just stay around here. And that was kind of the start of it. And then after talking with her, we decided we were just going to stay where we are. I've got, you know, I've got Miles. Well, Allison, you know Miles. He's in he's uh, in tenth grade this year, and he plays basketball. And I love running the clock at the at the varsity games, and and I love just being around them. And and that's just a completely different your life completely changes. And quite honestly, and I will say this about all members. I just love the people here. I really do. I mean, they're they're great people. Some I can tolerate a little less, and and you know, I've been accused of being having to be taken in doses. So I I, I get it, and uh, and so, but just I felt like we were. I felt like this is where I needed to be, so I decided not to. But you know, in terms of the folks that are going to either go to higher office or retiring or whatever, I, I think there's a fine line between institutional knowledge and experience. But there's also scar tissues and battle scars and bad blood. So being able to keep the institutional knowledge and the leadership in terms of that, that um, the continuity there is a good thing. But also new blood is not a bad thing. And so it, you don't want all of either. You, you want a little bit of both. And so I'm excited about next session. I think uh, it'll be a new day. Again, we'll have our break. We don't. We maybe can come in and and uh, and, and it, it'll be interesting to see 25 how how the new people are going to be. And I think the house y'all. I've heard numbers of 20, mm-hmm. 15, 20 different people that are either retiring or moving on or doing something different. Uh, whoever the speaker's going to be. That's going to be a challenge. I mean, it's going to be a challenge. I think Robert Reeves will do a great job as speaker. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're right. I think the speakers be awesome. Yeah. I'll ask each of you, um, and I'll start with you, Representative Dahl, because, you know, I'm (laughs) pro-woman. What is something you worked on this session? What's something you worked on this session that you're really proud of? So I have to laugh because... What I worked on, I can't really discuss because all I worked on was stopping things. The only thing that I got through that was public was my pizza and pens. I knew that was coming. That was good. <laughs> Who snort, Brian? Which one of them snorted right there? Was, that was really I thought good. it was Scott. <laughs> I'm not really a snorter. <laughs> but, I mean, the pizza and pens, it just makes me laugh. Because I was like, guys, we can't just not feed these people that work all day long. Well, explain your... Okay, so Pizza and Pins was added to one of the election bills so that people could receive food and pins from outside the county resources. Um, A lot of the polls... Poll workers. Poll workers. This all started when... Mark Zuckerberg put some money in, and everybody says he only put it into 
to the liberal places, and, and that was all to sway voters. But as far as I saw, it was just masks and pins. But I don't want to get into that argument, but people were really against having any outside money. And so we we actually honed it down. It was pizza pins and et cetera, or food pins and et cetera. And we took the et cetera out and kept it just election materials. And then I found out later that a member of your caucus, Senate caucus, really liked it, and he was really glad it got put in. We get hungry, too. I know. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, I just thought, you know, I see people bringing, and I'm not talking about candidates. I just see folks, a restaurant, you know, supporting the poll workers, and I don't want them to think that that's bribery. Senator Johnson, what about you? Worked on a number of different things. I think the one that... uh, meant the most to me was really a culmination of four years of work was the high school athletic association work Mm -hmm. um you know folks are very opinionated about that and you know it's unfortunate that everybody doesn't have all the information that we've been able to bring together and that's how it is with a lot of the stuff we work on Um, but being able to make sure that the focus of high school athletics were on the student and the student athletes and the families and the communities and try to get the focus off of money, but more on the leadership skills and the discipline and the idea that a lot of students in the in our state, uh, this is the most structured thing that they will have in their life. And that it, it uh, there's a number of students, whether we want to believe it or not. Remember, I'm from Anson County. We are a uh, tier one, just a very poor county, dec- declining population. Um, And I think Senator McGinnis summarized it best when he said there's a lot of kids that are in school solely for Friday night lights. Mm -hmm. They're they're going to school just to play football. And if that's the hook that we can have to keep these kids in school, it is giving them the best opportunity to be successful in life. And so doing the work around that, again, it's kind of a lightning rod issue. But in the end, I'm most proud of that because uh, I think that we're going to position the student-athletes of this state to be the, be very successful going forward. And one caveat to all of that, as I've told people that were upset with what we've done, we rarely get it right the first time. Mm. It's, it's very rare that we get it right, but the commitment I've made is if we've gone too far, if we've messed up, let's fix it. And I think the appetite would be there to fix it if we if we went too far with it. So very excited that we got that across the finish line and excited to see what happens. And if you're a good enough student athlete, then you'll go from under the thumb of the high school athletic association to, to the uh, NCAA. To under the thumb of them. That is a whole nother discussion. <laughs> yeah, it I'm, is. I'm having flashbacks of Tez Walker right about now from <laughs> the Carolina football fans out there. You know there. what I, I really wish is that we would take more time in committee to talk about things. I found out... Um, you know, talking about Second Amendment rights a while back, I found out some information about somebody and why they were so against one of the proponents that I was really pushing. And once I found it out, I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Okay, well, let's let's Fix do it. it a, let's yeah. do it a different way. Right, right. But we don't ever discuss these things in committees. We walk up there and go, blah, 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 okay. And we make people vote on it because it's already been discussed already. Yeah. Oh, you're fine. It's already <laughs> been discussed in caucuses at nauseum, yeah. but we're not getting. I, I never thought about this bill that way. Mm-hmm. I never thought about. I mean, 
I was a kid who went to school for Friday Night Lights. Right. I went, I played in the band, I was a statistician, I was, I was on the track team. You know, I was always there for those events. And if those were coming to an end, that would have killed me. I was in the band, and I was a statistician, but that was in, at Chapel Hill. And so I'd never run track. No one is shocked by that comment. <laughs> If you, no. I've always said, if you see me running, you better run too. There's, there's a big old bear or something behind me. There were no running. I threw shot. Okay, in gotcha. there, there was no running. No. You were shot put. Yeah. You got photos? No. That was before cell phones. Thank God. My goodness. For all of us. Well, let's look ahead to 2024 the short session will be here before you know it we're gonna break for the holidays and come back in the new year we've got a primary we got to get through but then we Mm -hmm. come back and start working on legislation again we're going to tweak the budget senator johnson i'm going to start with you what is something that's on your radar for 2024 in the short session i think uh, the uh, homeowners association bill the Mm -hmm. hoa bill that uh uh, myself, uh, Senator Salry, Representative Lou, and Representative oh, yeah. Eiler have been working on. Uh, we felt really good that it was going to get finalized this week, and some last-minute Hail Marys kind of stopped that up. And uh, I guess it kind of fell victim to one of the last remaining conference reports at the end of session, so everybody wanted to start you know, mm-hmm. treating it like a Christmas tree at that point in time. Um, but it's good legislation. Uh, we the the relation again bipartisan bill. Uh, we've had a lot of feedback. You know, when I passed this bill out of the Senate, I got a little nervous. I've got to admit it because uh, Senator Murdoch and Senator Smith both stood up and praised the bill after we passed it. And so I felt like all the eyes were on me, and I'm sitting there thinking, did I do something wrong here? But. And I say that in jest, but, oh, yeah. but, you know, when you hear the horror stories and, you know, Senator Smith, she and I have talked a lot about this and, and the horror stories of, of these folks, like she has someone that's literally lost their home mm-hmm. for a $500 fee or something that they didn't pay or, and you hear these horror stories and, and we, I feel like we did a great job on this bill of bringing in all the stakeholders. I mean, if you had a problem or if you were in, invested in this at all, we brought you in, we worked on the language, and, and we, we were able to get at least all but two uh, organizations at peace with this bill. And then so my, my goal in the short session is going to be to try to get this bill across the finish line because when you look, I think the figure I heard is 30%. Now, you know, 80% of them are made up. Statistics are made up. but uh, A couple I, of statisticians right that's here. That's right. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's like 30 or 40%, maybe more of people in North Carolina live under an HOA. Mm-hmm. And so it's something we need to pay attention to. And one thing we've learned and figured out through this thing is HOAs are one of the most powerful organizations. They have a lot of authority that, that most people have no clue over. So trying to put something together uh, that will protect property rights, protect homeowners, and allow them to live in peace in their home without having to be antagonized by these unelected folks that are uh, trying to run their lives. So, yeah. But then while maintaining the, the, the neighborhood as the neighborhood uh, wants. Aesthetic. Aesthetic. Well, what are you thinking about, Representative Dahl, in the 24 short session? What, what's your, what are you, what's on your radar? Guess. Medical yeah. marijuana. marijuana. <laughs> I mean, and I get what people, you know, I 
unfortunately have talked to two, no, fortunately have talked to too many vets who are suffering with PTS. And they've told me to remove the D because it's not a disorder. It is a traumatic response to trauma. I mean, we're talking about people who've seen people blown up. We're talking about people who've seen people die in front of them. And now we're going to deny them something that, no, okay, there's not a medical proof in the United States, but there is in Israel and other countries, and these people are getting it illegally and telling us it works. Just give it to them. Stop this. I mean, I know people think it's a camel's nose under the tent, but we have the power to make it not a camel's nose under the tent. And we need to use that power together to make sure that people get what they need. I mean, a cancer patient at the end of their life should not have to be in pain or at the beginning of their cancer. My um, best friend died of HIV, and he was prescribed Marinol. And Marinol, he said, oh, this is make me feel stupid. And he at one point had some regular marijuana, and lo and behold, he got hungry. That's my goal. If you want to slide the casinos in there, I, I just at this point, it's gone on way too long. Anything else that Sorry. we need to cover before we sign off here? Did you check all the boxes? We did. We did. I've got a confession to make. Go okay. ahead. If I'm not mistaken, I think I was on show number seven. Yeah. Okay. Um, when I came in that day, I'd never listened to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> and I had no clue about the magic wand question. And I know you're gonna, not going to ask that again. We can ask it. it. No, no, no. I know. I can't, I can't make you tell me you love me, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Have you ever met him? He'll tell you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but I didn't know it was coming. So when you all hit me with it, because when you ask the question, you assume that people know the question's coming. I don't have any clue what I actually said. I need to go back and listen to it. Either. But it was something off the wall, I'm sure. Because usually, I, you know, you ask me a question, I can be pretty Johnny on the spot and fake it till I make it. Right. But I'm pretty sure I was not expecting anything like that. So there's my confession. I'd never heard the show before I was on it. So, confession But I've listened to every one of them since, for whatever. <laughs> well, I, just, I find it so funny that John Torbett and I actually agreed on what, was, what we wanted to change in politics, which was money. Yeah. That was your magic wand. That was John Torbett. That was because we were one and two. One and two. One and two. Y'all were the OGs of and the podcast. That was our, and I think a lot of people, if they're will, if they would be willing to say, we got to remove this. We got to do something hmm. to change how all of this power structure. Because I don't, I, I do mind that y'all are in charge. Of course, I'd love to be sure. in charge, but. What I want to see is people work together for the betterment of North Carolina. And what I see right now and what worries me the most is that when somebody, and it might not happen in your chamber as much as it does in ours, but it seems like somebody get, gets mad at somebody. You can say what you want to say. And somebody gets pissed off at somebody <laughs> for some reason and then removes a package that that county needs. Mm-hmm. And that's what I saw in the budget, and those are the that's the stuff that really just drives me nuts. I just you know again these two have been around longer than I have, but well, at least that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's just kind of how it's always been done. It doesn't make it right. Let's change it though. <laughs> it's Let's it's the how it. is hard. It's, though. it's hard. It's, it's and I how. think the only way it's going to happen is stand up for what we think is right. 
and not do things just because we can. Well, Senator Todd Johnson and Representative Allison Dahl, we appreciate everything you do in North Carolina politics, your service in the General Assembly. Both of you know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on this special edition of the podcast. Thank you. It's truly a pleasure. Have us back again soon. We will. We, Have us for the opening up of what we expect coming up. <laughs> and I'll sit here and go, oh, no. And he'll tell you everything that's happening. Maybe. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. Love both of these legislators. Fun interview, very informative. Stark disagreements, but it's obvious they think a lot of each other. As you'll note, the legislators said that they first connected at one of our kickball games. And I just had something pop up on my memories the other day, and I sent it to you. We had a night, like just a little social at Longleaf, the Longleaf Hotel. What's that called? Yeah, Longleaf Hotel. Longleaf Hotel. And so we are discussing having another little social. You don't have to be in politics just to come meet us, have a drink, talk, whatever. Um, So we'll look forward to that soon. Yeah. So as we said at the beginning, not a lot of news, but we feel like we need to tick through it because we did have some happenings this week. Mostly on the campaign side. We recorded the podcast last Thursday morning. We'll start there. Thursday afternoon, or maybe it was still morning, I'm not sure. And no surprise to anyone, Jeff Jackson is officially in the race for attorney general against Dan Bishop. Mm -hmm. And he's ready to box. Yeah. We also had some news this week that Dr. Sarah Tabor is an announced candidate for ag commissioner. Now, we've also heard the news that Steve Troxler has let it be known that he is running for re-election. There were some rumors that he might be in his last term, but he's ready to go another four years. Additionally, we had talked about Dr. Grant Campbell running or the potential for him to run on a past podcast. He announced his candidacy for an open seat in Cabarrus County this week. Yep, goes into part of Rowan County, and uh, the primary will be the race right now. He's the only declared candidate. We also heard some news today. We're recording this podcast on Wednesday, November 1st, that Representative John Faircloth, longtime serving legislator from High Point, has announced he is in his last biennium. He will not be running for re-election. So on Tuesday night, you put out a tweet saying you were grateful to the Council of State for having some news this week since the legislature isn't in session. There were a couple of Council of State stories. First one was Commissioner Josh Dobson. He's over at the Labor Department. He said, look, I'm taking my photograph off of these elevators. From now on, we're going to have the state seal. He didn't think that his photo should be up there. This has been a long time practice going back to Sherry Berry when she was labor commissioner. And then we had some news coming out of the insurance department and commissioner Mike Causey. 
We talked last week about that bill that really outlined which jobs would be under the state fire marshal versus the insurance commissioner. Well, the insurance commissioner decided since they passed that bill, he's going to go ahead and fire a couple people who are in the state fire marshal office. He seems to be hemmed in by the law that we did talk about in that the person who was in place October 1st in these positions, there are three positions, uh, but the, the fire marshal position, which is held by Brian Taylor until he was fired yesterday, he will have the job. So we're waiting to hear from Governor Cooper whether he's going to sign the bill or not. But basically, not a good look for the insurance commissioner. Also on Wednesday afternoon, State Auditor Beth Wood told legislators in an oversight meeting that she would not be running for re-election in 2024. That is big news. Like Brian said, we're recording on Wednesday, November 1st, and this afternoon, a three-judge panel did block portions of Senate Bill 512, and that has to do with boards and commissions, who has appointment power to what. They didn't make a decision on the entire bill, and they're looking at House Bill 488 as well, but they are going to make specific recommendations for each board, and today they blocked the legislature's appointment power to three of those boards, the State Board of Transportation, Economic Investment Commission, and the state's Public Health Board. We also got some staffing news this week in NC Poll World. Reporter Alex Baltziger, who writes for the Carolina Journal, He is leaving the Carolina Journal and the John Locke Foundation to go work for Republican candidate for governor Bill Graham. He starts this month. Uh, There is a job opening for Alex's position. You can find it on the John Locke Foundation website. But best of luck to Alex. We certainly appreciated your reporting over the last couple sessions. Tweet of the week. The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Pork Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org. This week's Tweet of the Week comes from Kirk Osteen. He's at Kirk Osteen on Twitter, or X, and it says, it's a tweet from Monday morning, so keep that in mind. It says, hashtag did you know, since October 29th, the Carolina Panthers are tied for the best record in the league. Meanwhile, the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs are winless in the same frame. Really makes you think about the shifting of power in the NFL. (laughs) (laughs) If only, if only. So yeah, the Panthers finally got their win. Yeah, and it it was is at the very end, man. Yeah, and as my wife likes to say, Taylor Swift's boyfriend did not win on Sunday. No, because Taylor Swift wasn't there. That's what. That's what Julie. People are saying he needs her there. He's kind of like the Ken. She's the Barbie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Good for the Panthers. Congratulations. We'll see. We'll see what this week brings, though. (laughs) One win's probably enough. (laughs) Yeah, one win. Yeah, we'll take that. All right. This is a little saga. Yeah. That you texted me on October 31st in the morning. Mm -hmm. Proceed with your story. I had a bad night. It all started uh, Monday night when I got home, and I saw a big bag of candy for 
Halloween that my wife have got, had gotten. And I was afraid that she was going to hide it. And why would she need to hide the candy? I don't know. That's a big mystery. Okay. <laughs> okay. Should we get her on the line? No, let's not call her. So I said to her, kind of as a, as a way of, you know, being a decoy, I said, hey, do you need me to go pick up candy from the store for Halloween, knowing that I saw the candy over there? Was it hidden? No, it was in a, it was in a grocery bag, like w- one of those, like a Harris Teeter bag. Okay. Yeah, you, you know. Because I'm like, if it's just out in the open, why would you need to ask if you needed to pick up candy? Because I, I didn't want her to know that I knew she had candy because she had it tucked in that bag. Okay. So I said, she said, no, I've got candy. And I said, well, good. You've probably hidden it from me, right? And she said, I, you know, she, I could tell she was a little nervous. She's like, yeah, yeah, hid it from you. So plan worked. She didn't touch <laughs> the bag. Uh-huh. So go to bed and... I could tell she was in her rhythm of sleep. So you I just waited up, yeah. pretended to sleep. Well, I, I wake up at midnight anyway, because that's when she's really in her deep sleep. And that's when my body says to me, the coast is clear, Brian, <laughs> you can go eat now. So I get out of bed, go downstairs and I take a, some scissors and I just make a little <laughs> slit out of one of the bags. There's like five bags. She's got full candy bars, by the way, but they're in boxes, so I can't touch those. But I found one that had like the 100,000 grand, M&Ms, Reese's, Kit Kat, and a little hole, and I just start taking candy out, and I'm just like eating so much candy. But here's the thing. Monday night, I had gotten an Ozempic shot, so I could feel it kicking in. So... I'm thinking, I really want to eat this candy. So I have maybe seven minutes here before I start feeling really full. Okay. Because that's what how Ozempic works. You eat and you feel full. And I was like, man, I'm just, you know, getting it in. I'm drinking almond milk. I'm just. Isn't that going to make you sick? Yeah, I kind of did. <laughs> so uh, anyway, that's not the point. The point is, is I enjoyed a lot of candy. And then I had to clean up the wrappers and then the yeah. chocolate and then. Specifically, let go, me read. Go, go to the garage fridge and bring milk into the house so, and then take a little bit of that. So she didn't think, why, why is there new milk open? Boy, he drank a lot. So I was throwing all that off. And it was just a moment of pathetic from me. There's nothing like. I'm not even going to tell you what I'm wearing or not wearing. I'm just going to tell you I'm standing in the middle of the kitchen eating chocolate and drinking milk. So your message, I'm reading directly from your diary, a.k.a. your text to me. (laughs) Then as the stomach cramps come, you work so hard to clean up the wrappers and chocolate shavings because Julie is like Columbo in the morning. She is like Columbo. She's a detective. So fast forward to last night. I got home. And I get a Snapchat from Julie as I'm eating dinner. So, and it's a bag of candy. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, someone got into the candy last night. Yeah. And so I text you quickly. <laughs> and I'm like, you're caught, dude. You're caught. <laughs> she knows about the candy. Yeah. What'd you say? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh. And she's like, look me in the eye. Oh my gosh, you're like a child. Me, right. And I'm just like, what? I, I said, if you had had candy out where I could find it, I would have eaten the whole bag. Like, it wasn't me, but it was me. 
<laughs> yeah. She knew that. I, so I, did you admit it to her? I even said, like, look, the bag says six pounds. Weigh it. And you'll see that there's six pounds. She was like, it's five pounds now. Or five and a half pounds. I don't think I ate a pound of candy. <laughs> Maybe I did. <laughs> but anyway, um, I was like, see, I didn't have it. She's like, there's candy missing. It's not six pounds. Anyway, I told you. I'm in. What was your alibi? Like, or what'd you say? Like, somebody must have done like, that at the store? I was like, bam, I'm asleep. I said, these things get holes in them all the time. Something must have just fallen out. You did not say this. I did. I did. I mean, I respect the deny until you die method of lying. <laughs> I do respect it. Yeah. But mm, it seems like there's a hole, both literally and metaphorically here in your arguments. (laughs) Well, the bag, I was surprised at how big the hole had gotten because I made just a little slit to get Kit Kats out. The candy just feels so good in my mouth. And then, you know what? I I go upstairs, I sneak into bed. Smelling of chocolate. Smelling of chocolate. (laughs) And And I just have that little stomach ache, you know, that little queasy feeling of like I could throw up because of the Ozempic. And then I just just go into a nice winter slumber <laughs> and <laughs> wake up the next day and it's Halloween. Wow. Yeah. So is that the only candy you consumed this week? I consumed more candy last night on the curb waiting for the kids, the very cute trick-or-treaters in our neighborhood, and uh, managed to guide them or push them to take the York peppermint patties because we all know that's trash. And the almond bars and the mounds, I don't know what candy makers are thinking there. Like, just, that's disgusting. So I kind of pushed those to the top and the Hershey bars to the bottom. And I had a little bit of candy last night. Hmm. What about you? How was your, Let's not talk about me now. Let's <laughs> no, talk about, it sounded like you were, you were happy to talk about it. You also said you wanted to talk about this on the podcast. And I'm like, well, Julie's going to know when you say it on the podcast. And you're like, she doesn't listen. I'm like... She does. She texts me about it. She does, really? Yes. That warms my heart. She texted me two weeks ago about something that we said. Okay. And like just asked me a question about it. No. Oh, was it like a technical question? No, it was about what, which of my friends were jealous of you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We know who that is. <laughs> we're not going to say. He doesn't listen. Oh, that's right. But he did leave a review on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's the nicest thing he's ever done for you (laughs) and you could be nice to us dear listeners by going on to our podcast wherever you stream and leave us a review give us the most stars yeah we'd like to counteract the person that said we were lizard people yes (laughs) lizard people (laughs) oh man well Halloween's over. November's here. Yeah. Christmas music is starting. Thanks for listening to this long episode of the Do Politics Better podcast. Like Brian said, if you feel passionately about our podcast, feel free to give us five stars. That takes barely any time at all. Or leave us a review if you have a couple minutes to spare. We would really appreciate it. Have a great week. We will talk to you next week. But until then, please remember to do politics better.